were told by the attending doctor that my behavior was putting Caden's health at risk and that he was considering transferring Caden out of the NICU because of my behavior. That was probably the worst day of my life. I've been thinking a lot about risk lately. Our interactions with the healthcare system with Caden have demonstrated that there are many cracks for patients to fall through. I don't blame the healthcare providers because I know that they have to work within an incredibly complex system and there never seems to be enough time. I'm convinced that most providers truly do want the best for their patients. Yet, I'm willing to bet that anyone who's had any significant interactions with the healthcare system would agree that there are serious problems with the healthcare system that need to be fixed. A shocking number of people die every year because of preventable mistakes. In 2013, that number was 28,000. To put that in perspective, consider that about 350 people died when two aircraft, the 737 MAX 8s, crashed. It was nearly a year ago when the first one crashed on October 29th, 2018. There was a Lion Air Flight 610 that crashed, and a few months later, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 went down. And as a result of those two crashes, all 30, 737 MAX 8 aircraft were grounded. This is a good example of how an organization that understands risk should react. In contrast, let's consider healthcare. In Canada alone, more people die from medical errors every week than died on those two 737 MAX 8 crashes. And the culture, unfortunately, is that this is normal. And that's not even counting all the medical errors that occur that don't kill people. If you count all of those, we would have a full aircraft, 737 MAX 8, full of patients, about 200, being harmed every day. Caden experienced many small harms and near misses during his interactions with the healthcare system that remain a source of ongoing frustration and worry for us. Experts who specialize in risk management often describe risk using the Swiss cheese model. Imagine a stack of Swiss cheese slices. Each slice is a layer that's part of a system that, has, that can have holes in it, where each hole represents the possibility of something going wrong. And usually one hole or one thing going wrong doesn't mean that someone becomes harmed, at least as long as there's another layer right next to it that can stop the threat from getting through. It's only when there are a number of holes that line up and a threat is able to make it through from one side to the other of the stack of Swiss cheese that someone actually becomes harmed and we get a bad outcome. In the other cases where the holes don't line up, we get a near miss. In the case of the 737 MAX 8, we've come to learn the problem was likely a sensor, the angle of attack sensor. And this angle of attack sensor detects when an aircraft is in danger of stalling. This means that the aircraft is pitched too high up, the nose is too high, and that it is no longer generating lift. When this happens, the airplane will fall out of the sky. The problem was that the automated systems on the aircraft relied on a data from a single sensor to detect a stall, and there's always some chance that that sensor is 
not working correctly. So we can think of one of the holes in the Swiss cheese that represents this aircraft. One of the holes represents a sensor failure. What's surprising is that the aircraft actually had two sensors on board and having uh, the automatic uh, automated systems on board compare the data from the two sensors would have made it far far less likely that the system would uh, rely on bad data because the system would detect a, a mismatch between the data from the two sensors and disregard it so the holes in the two layers of the Swiss cheese representing the two sensors would have been very unlikely to line up. So why was the aircraft allowed to operate without both sensors, without the data from both sensors being read? Well, that's the focus of an ongoing investigation. And there's no doubt in my mind that we will never see another aircraft crash because of this same problem. The aviation industry is working very hard to ensure this particular hole in the Swiss cheese gets plugged. For another example, we can think about the risk of being hurt in a car accident. Imagine one layer of Swiss cheese representing the system that ensures all drivers have some sort of uh, basic driving ability before they get licensed. Another layer you can imagine is the one that defines speed limits on our roads. Another might be all the safety features that are built into vehicles in case of an accident. But there can still be holes in all these layers of risk management. You can imagine someone who has a driver's license may not be able to safely operate a vehicle today because perhaps they're too tired or they're on medication that makes them drowsy. You can have people who speed and you can have uh, vehicles that have some basic uh, safety uh, features built into them but not all vehicles are equally safe. For instance, some may have more airbags and are safer in the case of an accident than others. So you can still have people who get hurt or die in car accidents if they fall asleep at the wheel or they don't have air or the cars don't have airbags uh, or if people are speeding. So we can even add further layers of risk management, for instance, by asking police to look out for people who are speeding or to run public awareness campaigns to try and convince people to not drive while they're too tired. Organizations that systematically try to identify and plug holes in their layers of Swiss cheese or add additional layers of Swiss cheese if holes can't be plugged are called high reliability organizations. Industries that are inherently more dangerous, like aviation and the military, tend to fall into this category. And despite being associated with a higher risk environment, these industries traditionally report lower rates of accidents, far lower than what would be expected considering the risk they work in. For example, some say the most dangerous environment in the world is the surface of an aircraft carrier. These are boats with short runways that allow fighter jets to take off and land um, and are pretty much manned by 20-year-olds, um, and yet there are surprisingly few accidents. People that work in these environments take accidents and near misses very seriously, and each one is carefully analyzed and, and a team determines how such an event could be prevented in the future. Perhaps the most important point is these these accidents are all investigated in a blame-free environment. So even though people make mistakes, the person who made the 
mistake is not necessarily blamed because the mistake might have actually been caused by a larger system level problem that needs to be addressed first. When I first started looking into risk around the time that Caden was born, it was surprising for me to learn that healthcare institutions are not considered high reliability organizations. This way of thinking is only just beginning to make its way into healthcare. In fact, I would go as far as to say that our experience has shown us that the healthcare system is surprisingly unreliable. In fact, around the time that Caden was born, I was going through a training program that all the leaders at UHN were required to enroll in. This training was designed to bring a high reliability focus to healthcare, and it was called Caring Safely. It was an in-depth training consisting of a series of seven or eight three-hour training sessions. And the first session included video clips from the senior leadership uh, describing the medical mistakes that they had personally made in their own practices and how hard it was for them to come to terms with what they had done and dealing with the guilt. Interestingly, the same Caring Safely training was being delivered at SickKids at this time, which is the hospital where Caden spent the first few months of his life. What I learned was that nearly all the frustrations we were experiencing with Caden could have been avoided if the doctors and nurses at SickKids had utilized some more of the principles of high reliability organizations. The main challenge we faced was a lack of communication from, from one care provider to the next and from one day to the next. As Caden's parents, we could see how things that one part of his team was learning was not being transferred or passed on to other parts of his team or whoever was in charge of taking care of him the next day. There were processes in place in theory that were designed to allow the team to pass on this information through things called handoff at night and in the morning, um, um, but the system didn't always work the way it was supposed to. Um, at rounds, uh, one of the key processes where the team um, learns about the status of each patient is a whole team that moves from one patient to the next describing the status of each patient and learning about what happened the night before and the day before. Um, the problem with these rounds is there wasn't very much time to discuss any one patient and the process often felt like a game of broken telephone tests. I did my best to attend these rounds as often as I could. Uh, these would happen in the mornings and I would do my best to get there well in advance to make sure I didn't miss the meetings um, and usually this gave me enough time to chat with the nurse that was taking care of Caden that day and I could learn about his status ahead of time and look up in this chart how his night was. In my experience this was actually an excellent way to get accurate information about Caden's condition. Usually what I was most interested in is understanding how many spells Caden had experienced the previous night. A spell for Caden was one was an event where his heart rate suddenly slowed and he would stop breathing. Uh, nurses typically had to suction Caden's airway out and clear out um, saliva, which was, we believe, the reason for most of these spells. It was because of his inability to swallow. Saliva would pool first in his mouth and run into his airway, eventually causing an obstruction. Um, one of the things his team found to be most helpful was the use of a CPAP machine to help keep his airway open. CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure, um, and it's this pressure that keeps 
his airway, kept his, help keep his airway open. And adults with sleep apnea often use similar devices to prevent airway obstructions as well. We found that Caden's spells were well controlled while on CPAP. However, the team in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit where Caden was staying, was convinced that Caden needed to come off CPAP. I suspected this had something to do with the fact that most of the other babies in the NICU needed CPAP for a short period of time, typically because they were premature and needed some time for their lungs and their cardiovascular system to develop, after which they would be able to take over breathing on their own. But Caden's need for CPAP was very different, um, and it was because of this obstruction, because of his sal extra saliva that he had pooling. Um, and so it wasn't that his body just needed a little more support temporarily. Um, in fact, it turned out that Caden would need CPAP or some form of ventilation uh, following his time in the NICU, um, and, and he still needs a ventilator, he still uses a ventilator at night to help control his secretions to some degree. It became clear to us every time they tried to take Caden off CPAP that bad things would happen. His worst night, when he had more than 10 spells, followed the day when his team uh, tried to take him off CPAP. Usually what happened was that he would be okay for a few hours when the CPAP was first removed, but he would eventually start having more and more frequent spells. What was probably happening is the saliva was pooling in his mouth and in his airway and creating more and more of an obstruction, making it more and more difficult for him to breathe as time went on. On a few occasions, on two occasions specifically, Caden needed to have a code blue called because nurses watching him were unable to revive him after a spell that occurred uh, shortly after he was taken off of CPAP. The people who were involved directly with each of these instances saw the risk of taking Caden off CPAP and agreed that future trials would need to be done more carefully and thoughtfully. But because of this game of broken telephone, this message didn't get passed on to other parts of the team and different team members kept coming around to insisting on trialing him off CPAP. We started getting more and more uneasy as Caden's parents when it became clear that our warnings weren't always heeded. We started to ask that they put in place a protocol that we could all agree on in advance to determine when these CPAP-free trials should end if it became clear that Caden wasn't tolerating them. How many spells and what frequency of spells do we need to see before we decide that this isn't working? And this would essentially ensure that Caden wouldn't have to experience another night of, of many, many, many spells uh, that were really not good for him. This type of agreement seemed reasonable to some teams while others flatly refused. One of the cases escalated, in one of these cases, uh, an argument escalated to the point where Tanya and I were called in for a special meeting where we were told by the attending doctor that my behavior was putting Caden's health at risk and that he was considering transferring Caden out of the NICU because of my behavior. That was probably the worst day of my life, and I think for Tanya as well. Now, this particular doctor and a few others on Caden's team made it clear 
that we were interfering in their process. They had no interest in considering whether our concerns were well-founded or not. And thankfully, we had developed good relationships with some other doctors in the NICU who shared our concerns and were able to advocate on our behalf. I think the good news is that health, the healthcare system is filled with good people who do want the best for their patients, but the need for high reliability practices is sorely needed. I'm convinced the healthcare system would only get, will only get better because we're seeing this focus on high reliability slowly making its way in. And one of the things I intend to do is to document our experience and send it into the leadership at the NICU to help motivate that change.